This episode is supported by Vic Health, Victoria's health promotion agency. For more information about the work of Vic Health, go to vichealth.vic.gov.au. It feels like the first time in my lifetime that everyone in the world is going through the same thing. We all understand it, we all relate on the same level. I think these communities exist, it's just a matter of tapping into them and also connecting people. Well, this is it, the final episode of our special coronavirus series of In Good Health, and what a roller coaster the last few weeks have been. As we're recording, parts of Australia are opening up again, but Melbourne, where we are, is in the second round of lockdown. The return to heavier restrictions are a massive blow for many of us. And even if you're not in Melbourne, you might have loved ones who are or be worried about the coronavirus cases and what they mean for you. And we'll talk through all this. But in this episode, we really want to remind ourselves about the good, all the incredible ways people have come together to support each other since the pandemic hit. And think about some of the things we've learnt that might help us all see our way through until whenever this ends or changes or a new new normal takes hold. And we're also going to be talking about maybe the world's most popular video game right now, Animal Crossing New Horizons. I'm Dr Sandro. And I'm Dewey Cook. So if you're listening from somewhere around Australia, it'd be hard to miss the recent news that metropolitan Melbourne and the small area called Mitchell Shire, just north of Melbourne, have gone back into lockdown. And I have to say, it's a bit of a tough time for the Victorian community and the Melbourne community. We've kind of become a little island, uh, you know, state in, in the country of Australia. And despite having done so well and worked so hard, a few cases escaped and as with you know a pandemic and we knew this would probably happen there's been a second blip and we have five or so million people gone back into stage three restrictions which means they can only leave their homes for essential reasons really this means we're spending all of our days back at home mm. homeschooling really from home. you know often yeah, working from home, only going outside to shop for the essentials, do some exercise, care, or if we absolutely have to fill those essential jobs, but it's what we need to do to get on top of the virus and ultimately once again save lives. Yeah, and it's like you said, Sandro, you know, it felt like we'd been doing so well and case numbers really were so low just in June, really, you know, six mm. weeks ago. How worried should we be that this has happened? Well, look, the fact is that we always knew that something like this would happen. We didn't know it would be in Melbourne, but it could have been much, much worse and it was going to happen somewhere. And it's happened in pretty much every country around the world. You get the numbers down and it's an incredibly infectious disease. You only need one case. And we've seen, in fact, studies from China, from South Korea and Italy, where, you know, one case can very quickly lead to 70 can lead to hundreds, can lead to thousands. So, you know, the fact that the government really, and I think authorities, but also society, like, you know, we as a community know what to do now. We've gone very quickly back into restrictions. The roads are suddenly very quiet again. Everyone's 
now wearing masks and we're taking those measures that got us to the good place that we were in just a month or two ago. So, you know, we do need to be worried. We need to do the right thing. We need to follow those really important Groundhog Day type measures that we kind of hear again and again and again, washing our hands, maintaining distance, wearing a mask, you know, only going outside if we need to and getting tested if we feel unwell. But I think if we do that, we'll get back on top of this again. And and hopefully we got onto it quickly enough that we won't see the cases rise too much further before they peak and start to subside again. Sandra, so like putting your public health hat aside for a moment, how do you feel about it? Look, I, I suppose I acknowledge that um, my job's not on the line and, and I've got a roof over my head. I also don't have the challenges and, and I suppose in some ways the fun that comes with having kids or or other people around to kind of hang out with during the day. I'm not trying to balance work and homeschooling or or caring for other people. You know, I think even despite that, I'm I'm finding it difficult like everyone else is. You know, I moved back from 10 years living abroad last October and a big reason for that was to see my parents, my 97-year-old grandma, my nieces. Yeah, to be around and, your family And to more. watch them. Yeah, and to watch them grow up. And I think, to be honest, I saw them more living in Europe in the last 10 years than I've seen them in the last six months. And that's a bit tough. How about you? How's being at home with three beautiful but very energetic kids? <laughs> Spirited, and, Sandra. And Spirited doing everything them. else that you do. <laughs> uh, look, it's it's going to be it's going to be different this time for the better, I hope. I mean, I've, I found, as we've discussed, like a lot of trying to combine work and parenting and then home learning quite mm. stressful. So we are just going to try to simplify things a little bit more. That means kind of adjusting work hours a bit, but also even I think how I'm approaching some mm. of the home learning activities. And so mm. looking for ways to reduce and alleviate some of that stress is really important this time around because, yeah. you know, my kids are already saying, I hate the coronavirus, <laughs> which is good because it means that they're like absorbing the reasons why we have to kind of fight it, then they're taking it seriously. But I don't want to cause more stress for them. And just a reminder also for listeners that there have been some really amazing people that we've had on the show and on the episodes previously and, and talking about balance and talking about how to maintain a sense of normality and routine and how to set up an, a home office. And suddenly all those seem really relevant again. So, you know, go back and maybe listen to some of the episodes again. And if they can be helpful, share them with loved ones or friends and family as well. So, Davey, one of the really big things was prior to the whole of Melbourne and, and Mitchell Shire going on lockdown, we had a number of social housing towers on lockdown here in Victoria. There are about nine of them across uh, the northern parts of Melbourne, and this was a really big challenge for community and a sense of community. Yeah, I can't imagine how difficult that must have been for some of those residents and young people and families, but I have to say mm. I was so inspired by the efforts of, in many cases, young people from within the towers mm. to reach out to their community and to help them. And the way that they took to social media to, to, to tell their stories and to amplify the stories mm. and the needs of residents, I just thought was incredible. Obviously has got us, I think, Sandra, thinking about the ways in which community in general in Australia and even across the world have 
found ways to come together during the pandemic in very challenging times. And some of it has been through this concept of mutual aid, which is actually a term that's kind of popularized from a 19th century anarchist writer. And I interviewed a doctor at the ANU Crawford School about it, Sango Mahatney, and I'll throw to her now just because she's got a really good description of what it is. So mutual aid as an idea has quite old origins. I think the term was used particularly by Peter Kropotkin, who was, a, I guess, an anarchist writer in the early 1900s. And he put forward the idea that people aren't inherently competitive necessarily, people and other species, in fact. And he was looking at how when organisms or people collaborate, how they can actually find ways to mutually benefit each other. So the idea of mutual aid as a concept dates back to there, but obviously there's been different forms of mutual aid going on in practice for for far longer. Yeah, and to give a bit of context for those who aren't from Australia, these are really incredible, beautiful, rich and strong, diverse communities. These are often culturally and linguistically diverse, but I think what really I found so inspiring was just the unity and the solidarity that there was within the social housing communities and the communities that rallied around them. Well, I think for the first time across the pandemic, there was also a realisation from the wider community that the burden caused by the virus is not equal, that there are big parts Mm. of our community that are facing much more hardship I mean, they have the strength and they have the resilience and they have the solutions, but they need to be supported and and we need to actually work as as one society to make sure that, I suppose, ultimately, again, that concept that no one's left behind and that there are communities that, whether it's because of language barriers or pre-existing and intergenerational economic hardship or because of other long-standing challenges like marginalisation and racism, if we're going to truly defeat the virus, we also need to address these other challenges as well. And I think there was a sudden realisation that these are not challenges that are segregated and zero sum. They're actually quite deeply linked. Mm. But there's a there's an opportunity here to understand and to work together and to support one another. You know, I don't want to sound idealistic or naive, but I think there was a realisation across a broad part of the Melbourne and Victorian and Australian community that we all have to work together on this, that we have to work as one and that we're only going to kind of come out the other end in a way that we can feel proud of if we have that sense of unity and solidarity. Yeah, and I think it also has proven that perhaps the broader community are hungry to help, you know, and are looking for ways to join together to donate or to offer services or to offer just solidarity. And I think that Mm. that's a really wonderful thing to be reminded of. And it kind of brings me to a couple of the people that I've spoken to over the last few weeks about this approach around mutual aid, and they're from two very different industries. So the first person is Emily Ullman, who's a musician and a festival programmer, and she's the creator of the Isolade Music Festival, um, which is an Instagram-based music festival. So her world really came to a sudden stop like all of ours, you know, in mid-March. And she was at that time the artistic director of the Brunswick Music Festival and she just launched it and she'd spent a year putting it together and then it was just cancelled a couple of days into launch. And then to top it off, you know, it was at her birthday that weekend. She was meant to see her football team play and like she had plans like so many of us and they had to to end. And, you know, instead of going 
indoors and feeling very sad, she did something quite extraordinary. So she's a musician herself and obviously deeply connected to her community. She knew there were all of these artists who had, because of the shutdown, suddenly lost the opportunity to do their album launches or play gigs. And many were not just taking that financial hit of losing work, but also a real emotional one too, because they weren't able to perform and they weren't able to do that thing that they love, you know, like so many of us kind of Mm. had to stop doing for a while. So within a couple of days, she'd pulled together an entirely new festival and she called it Isolade. Anybody out there? Hope you're all doing okay. Strange new world we're living in and a strange new way of doing a gig. Hi everyone. Thanks for being here. I'm just going to Play some songs. Hey everybody, it's Jeff Tweedy in my living room in Chicago, welcoming you to Isolate. Ah, here we go, okay. So Isolate is an online festival. It's on Instagram, essentially. So each artist performs 20 minutes and then passes on to the next artist who then plays 20 minutes. So it's very much a form of discovery because the artists are performing on their own platforms. It was really important to me to promote the artist, not the festival. We could have done it quite differently and had people performing from the festival's platforms, but the discoverability and the increase in numbers of followings has been really important and something each artist has seen an increase of fans and that's just a really lovely and important outcome. And then also people can watch via the Isolate website if they don't want to move from page to page. Some people just want to leave it on their computer and, and do whatever they're doing at home. So that's basically how it works. Yeah, each artist plays 20 minutes and it's sort of like this rabbit hole of discovery when each artist moves on. So that first weekend of Isolade went for 12 hours on a Saturday and 12 hours on a Sunday and there were 74 artists programmed. Like 74 artists, like pulling that together in a couple of days for anybody that doesn't kind of understand creative production, that's extraordinary. And, you know, they're all timed in these 20-minute sets going from one Instagram handle to another Instagram handle. And she didn't really know what to expect and whether it would work and she didn't know if it would continue, but it has. And it has every weekend for four months. She's pulled together a roster of artists. I think it's like over 600 now. Basically a mini festival of artists doing it all and definitely no pay. So it's basically one stage at a festival. People are in the comments sort of chatting with each other, chatting with the musicians. So there's a real sense of community and intimacy between the viewers and the audience themselves, but also between the performers and the viewers as well, which is just incredibly precious, I suppose. Early on, Emily joined forces with Support Act, which provides crisis relief and mental health to support music industry workers. And through Isolade, she helped raise $90,000 in donations just in that first few weeks. So now she's shifted a little bit and all donations from each weekend are paid equally to the artists who are performing. And the festivals cross like so many genres, like she's had big names like Claire Bowditch playing or Jen Cloa. And recently she had the Queensland Symphony Orchestra playing <laughs> when there were these funny little comments in the you know, the live chat with people saying, oh, gee, those guitars look really big when they've pulled out the double bass players, you know, but it's this really (laughs) fun and glorious mix of talent and really good vibes. But she thinks that there are actually plenty of opportunities to create those kinds of connections, you know, if you look hard enough, which is kind of what we saw happen in the case of the Towers, right? If Mm. you look and you reach out, people will respond. 
I think absolutely these communities exist. It's just a matter of tapping into them and, and also connecting people and Isolate is just a vehicle to be able to do that. But it has been able to provide something special to communities that otherwise are always isolated more and more as restrictions are eased in different parts of Australia. It's brought to my attention by messages and emails, but also just from the experience of having run the festival. For some people, these restrictions won't be eased. You know, whether people live remotely and don't have live music come to their communities or whether they have physical or psychological barriers that prevent them from being able to attend live music. It has created this different community of people being connected by access to the same thing because you know this global pandemic I think about it so often that it feels like the first time in my lifetime that everyone in the world is going through the same thing and on that level I suppose the festival is a different sort of community because we understand it on the same level and so that's why it's really important to me now to make sure people aren't left behind. People are always asking me like, are you going to continue the festival? And the answer is yes, because I mean, as long as I can afford to, we're all in this together and I'm not forgetting the people who are going to still be isolated, you know, for years or forever. And to check out more about the Isolate Festival, go to isoladefestival.com or find them on Instagram at isoladefestival. Yeah, what I love about this idea also is that there's that diversity you know whatever kind of music you like they're bringing it all together they're using the digital platform so it's really accessible but it's also reflecting all of these different cultures and communities through the medium of music so it's kind of I don't know for me it's a really beautiful story of inclusivity but also accessibility and in a way that would never have happened without COVID. Right exactly and you know in the case of Isolade there are people who may have never been able to attend a festival easily, who are now able to attend, right? So there's a a wonderful kind of equalising opportunity thanks Mm. to it being part of this digital space. And we've talked a little bit about it, but the way that technology has been used in this time Mm. to reach people and for people to reach each other, I think is also something that's extremely inspiring. Like speaking personally, I've got a a WhatsApp group was just with my neighbours and we kind of send each other funny messages and someone's offering ginger at the moment because they accidentally ordered 44 kilos <laughs> oh, in yes, their please. first online shopping experience, you know. So there's like... Ah, uh, yes, the old uh, moving <laughs> yeah. decimal point exactly. trick. <laughs> so, I mean, that's there have been very positive ways of connection. Yeah. yeah, and I've been seeing this also in the public health role because we've seen communities actually using... WhatsApp groups, using Instagram channels, using, um, you know, Instagram chat and Instagram live to stay connected. We've seen that actually across some of the community lockdowns. We've seen that in regional communities. We've seen that in diverse sort of communities where they're maybe also communicating in a language other than English. So these networks are springing up, which these digital networks, which are providing connection translation and it's quite amazing to see this mushrooming effect of all these incredible community networks that are providing support you know across this period. Day we at the risk of sounding very very old mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> we recently brought together a group of amazing young people about five or six young people at Vic Health with our partners at Yakvik and 
you know, gosh, the ideas, the passion, the insight, the strength and intellect that these people had. I mean, we learned so much about, you know, what was affecting and what was a priority to young people at the moment. And it's interesting, one of the really strong conversations that came out that this group felt they were really struggling with was regaining or, or really having a sense of control. You know, in my mind, I kind of think, I interpreted it something like agency, I suppose, a sense of, you know, control over your life. Mm. And, and we've talked about this in previous episodes, the importance of having a routine of balancing how often you're you're on social media and where you're getting your information from. But they, they had some really amazing different insights. And one that came out of it was a computer game, which totally floored me. And I had no idea what they were talking about, actually, for most of the conversation until I was, <laughs> until I was, brave enough to say, um, sorry, I, I, the old man in the corner's lost. It was a computer game called Animal Crossing. I think it's kind of like Sims. I know all about Animal Crossing, Sandro. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, look, I, I, I remember Sims, and I remember the what, SimCity, Sims, you know, in, in the 90s and early 2000s, and the sense of accomplishment and control that, it gave you because you could enter this parallel digital world and you could build something, you could accomplish something, you you know, you had this avatar and you could experience this different right. life where there weren't the same barriers as, as everyday life as a young person. And I would have been probably in my early teens when I was playing these games, you know, but it seems like Animal Crossing is sort of that just taken a few steps further yeah. so you can... It's world building, really, right? Mm. Like it's it's having the ability to create your perfect world at a time when the world is not perfect around you. The real mm. world is not perfect around you. My <laughs> six-year-old is obsessed with Animal Crossing and he plays with his dad and they're talk always talking about oh, wow. the price of turnips, which any Animal Crossing <laughs> players out there will completely understand because turnips prices go up and down and you have to get in at the right time to sell them. So... Mm. There have been some really amazing stories that actually have come out, people's testimonies about the way they've used Animal Crossing, which I think is super interesting, the way they've been able to like build memorials to loved ones who have passed, who they haven't been able to mourn properly at this time, again, at a time I, I that also, is a bit chaotic, you know, and I think I also that's heard quite about people like building their house, building a house, but also like having friends over for a dinner party, going on a holiday. Right. I mean, very funny that you say that because my kids played with some of our friends who live in Berlin recently and mm. um, you can kind of share codes to enter each other's worlds um, and that totally blew the mind of my six-year-old, obviously just the fact that that could even happen because their world looked very different to the one that he'd created. Um, oh, wow. But they were a, their characters were wearing masks. So there are like fascinating little moments like that and it doesn't hurt the fact that for Animal Crossing that it launched in March 2020. Mm. So everyone's at home looking for something to do and here's yeah, like I a new game. I think for me also, I mean, I, I don't have kids, so I think of computer games, I think back to like, you know, Nintendo Game Boys, you know, like in the 90s and you can begin to see all of the benefits in terms of, okay, we're talking about a computer game, but it's actually so much more than that. It's a sense of community a place where we can our lives can kind of go on as you said before there's a sense of routine and normality i mean you're even talking about sort of learning about how markets work and how to 
trade your turnips. Yeah, how I to mean, become it's... a great capitalist. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we need to balance that one. But yeah, I mean, it's 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 quite amazing. And and for the for this group of young people, and and I hate to kind of characterise them as young people. I mean, they were just an incredible group of people. But a number of them really identified as having got a lot of value and enjoyment and meaning and connectedness out of this computer game, out of a kind of digital experience, particularly at the moment when there's so much uncertainty and fear and hardship in the real world, I suppose. So I want to introduce you to the next person that I um, have been spending a bit of time speaking to and talk about the way he and his partners have responded using this concept of mutual aid to help another industry that's been really hard hit during the pandemic, and that's hospitality. You're going to hear from Henry Lee, who co-owns a hospitality venue in Melbourne, but in his day job, he's a business analyst, and until recently, he did a lot of work in Hong Kong. He's also got a science background in immunology, funnily enough, which will actually be kind of important in a second. So late last year, he said that as reports started to come out about a new novel virus, he ran a model that helped him plan out what a pandemic disaster scenario would look like for his staff and close colleagues. Um, What would happen if they lost all their income? How would they be able to provide for each other? And then in late March, the scenario had to kick in and his organisation, which is the COVID-19 Employee Assistance Drive or COVID-EAD, began. They deliver free chef-made meals to hospitality staff who've lost work during the pandemic and they started out with just a couple of hundred meals a week and they quickly went up to delivering nearly 2,000. It's one of those things where when you have the ability to make a difference and you have the means and you have the motivation and you have the connections, I personally feel like it's my social responsibility to do what I do with the people that I have around me. And so when I'm looking around and I'm seeing good friends of mine and the industry itself suffering the way it is, we found that being this meal delivery service has been such a lifeline to those who in the early days didn't know where the next meal is coming from. If we look back to the pasta shortages and the toilet paper runs, there was a lot of fear and panic and what we're trying to achieve or what we did a fairly good job of achieving is becoming that support pillar for the industry when times are uncertain. So the way Henry and his team have done it is that they've scrambled really quickly to set up a structure for their organisation and they've got a clear mission statement, they've got charity status now and they've got a decent network of hospitality heavy hitters to help with supplies and logistics. This is like a super organised version of what Sango from ANU earlier suggests that mutual aid groups should consider, make the group's focus and the norms around behaviour really clear. But it's still a very lean operation and it's really just a huge amount of work. You know, Henry is doing deliveries after he clocks off from his regular work and he's out on the road till like 11 o'clock sometimes. But the thing with mutual aid groups or initiatives like these is that there's always a need. So you're kind of always propelled to do more and it's really hard to stop. And Henry's got some really pretty heartbreaking stories you know, of people just breaking down in tears when he's turned up to do the deliveries. Because for a lot of people, even reaching out and asking for the help has been a massive deal because, you know, they're the hospital workers. They're usually the ones who are serving us. In hospitality, we're used to being the ones who give and the ones who facilitate those good times. 
and the ones who cater to other people. And when you're in a position where you need to help, it can be really vulnerable and really confronting to accept that hand that's reaching out to you. So we've been trying to destigmatize asking for assistance by making it more prevalent in the conversation you know, through our social media channels, through the Facebook groups, and through the one-on-one conversations that we have with people. If you need help, please accept it. And then remember the feeling of someone helping you. And when you have the opportunity to reach out to someone else, be careful. To find out more about the work that Henry and his partners are doing to help the hospitality industry, go to covid19.com.au or find them on Instagram, covid19ead. So I guess the reason why, you know, I wanted to point out those examples of the Isolate Festival, of Henry's COVID-19 EAD project, and even what we talked about very early on about the incredible community response, both internally and externally, to the experience of people living in lockdown in the social housing estates in Melbourne, is that there are incredible lessons, I think, to be learned in how people have come together and incredible opportunities, again, to connect if you want to and there are plenty of people doing that work out there should you feel like you want to find that outlet and you can use technology to do that to find those people doing that work or you can use technology to make the connections yourself you know even if it's playing animal crossing or even if it's it's just swapping numbers with your neighbors to make sure that everybody's going to have enough of what they need if they ever need help you are there for them like there is a real joy in the solidarity that you can form with people at this time and yeah like we've always been saying the whole way through it's important to find ways to maintain connection well next up we have rowan our resident physio guru for our weekly dose of physio goodness over to you rowan I thought I'd share with you today a couple of great exercises you can do using the local park bench. You can do some really good lower body strengthening, some really good core work, and you can also work your upper body, which is the three main areas that you want to work when you're trying to strengthen your body. The first exercise that's a really, really good place to start is a squat. So if you're at your local park bench, if you stand in front of the bench and just slowly sit yourself back as if you're going to sit into the chair, just before you take your weight into your bottom, I want you to then stand back up again and then repeat that one, depending on your ability, 10 to 20 times. That's a sit to stand and it's a great way to practice your squatting and it helps teach correct technique and helps you to move well through your hips and your pelvis. Another really good exercise is a step up. So this one gets harder depending on the height of your, of your bench. But if you pop your right leg up onto the bench and then push through your heel and then step all the way up onto the bench and as you do that you can bring your left knee up towards your chest and then slowly step back down now the key with step ups is it's all about how quick you do them so we typically recommend that it should take about five seconds to do one repetition and if you work at that pace it really really works the muscles nicely if you go a little bit too quick then sometimes you don't feel the muscles working quite as much And again, if you look to do about 10 to 20 of them on each side, it's a really good exercise to strengthen the glutes and the thighs. Another great exercise on the park bench is to do some push-ups. So you can choose the low side or the high side, depending on on where you're at with your strength. If you pop your hands onto the bench, make a nice straight line with your body and then really slowly lower down towards the bench and then push away again. Aiming to keep your body as straight as possible and keeping the spine as straight as possible 
as you do that, and that will work nicely through the upper body and through the chest. It's also a great exercise to get some of the, the trunk and the core muscles firing as well. Finally, if you want a, a more advanced exercise, there's a really good exercise you can do called a Bulgarian lunge. Once you've been working at your squats and your step-ups for a little while, you can pop your back leg up onto the bench, facing away from the bench, and then you slowly take all the weight in the front leg and drop down into a lunge. So you've got one, one leg up a bench and the other leg on the ground, lowering down to about 90 degrees and then slowly lifting all the way back up. And that's a really good exercise that, that works not only your quads and your glutes, but also works your, your single leg balance and your stability, which is great for walking and great for running. There's some great exercises that you can do with really minimal equipment down at your local park, and it should help to um, restore some strength into the legs, into the trunk, and into the upper body. If you knock them off two to three times a week, within a few weeks, you should start to feel that you're moving a bit better and that you're feeling a bit stronger. Sandro, I know you've been doing a lot of cooking this week, as usual, but I <laughs> did spy on your Instagram um, a very luscious-looking box of veggies from an organisation that we both love, the Community Grocer. Can you tell me about it? That's right. So big pot of chilli went on my stove yesterday, but as much as the recipe itself is really tasty, the people who actually made that pot of chilli possible are also some incredible human beings. So a big shout out to Russell and the team at Community Grocer, also uh, Street Asylum Seekers Resource Centre and Moving Feast and also Fruit to Work. These are all social enterprises that are heavily engaged in the food relief space across Melbourne and doing an amazing job to make sure that people who are going through really tough times and particularly over the last week these community organisations mobilised really quickly to create a whole new supply chain to supply fresh fruit and veg boxes from farmers who weren't able to get their produce to market because of closed down Sunday community markets and give them a, a good fair price, but also make sure that you know people who are in lockdown who are doing it really tough have access to free or really affordable fresh fruit and vegetables. And more than that, culturally appropriate boxes of fruit and veg that actually reflected the wants and, and needs of those specific communities facing lockdown. So yeah, there are a couple of boxes left over. On Tuesday morning, a bunch of us from Vic Health went and helped for a couple of hours packing 500 of these boxes at a warehouse in Faulkner. Um, there are a couple of boxes left over. So I bought a few extra home, made sure my parents, my grandma, my friends were all stocked up for veggies over the weekend. And because of course, it's this beautiful box of really fresh straight from the market vegetables from across Australia, I was able to cook up a really big pot of vegetarian chili. And I love this recipe, dice up some onions, fry them up until they kind of caramelize and then throw in really whatever you have. But the favorites would be eggplant, capsicum, zucchini, some mushrooms, uh, maybe a couple of potatoes really fine to give it yeah. a bit of heartiness. Yeah. Um, Favourite veggies all there? <laughs> all of the veggies, all the summer veggies, but of course they're coming from Northern Australia at the moment. Throwing in also, you know, some cauliflower is really good. Some three bean mix, 
a can of tomatoes, lots of cumin, lots of paprika, a bit of chili, salt, bay leaves, and then basically just cook it. But it really only takes, if you chop it up fine, it takes about 20 minutes. And then I served it over some long grain rice, a big dollop of yogurt, or uh, if you want to be really decadent, sour cream, mm. and then coriander and some lime on top. And it was so good. So it nourished the soul because you know at the end of the day that you're getting a really, really great meal. It tastes amazing. It's good for your body. It's so warming in the middle of winter. The farmers are getting a great price. The social enterprises are getting their fair share so they can keep the doors open and continue to support those who you know are doing it a bit more tough at the moment. So give it a go. Vegetarian chili, super tasty and you know, vote with your note. So buy fruit and veg from your local green grocer and support not only your body, but also the local food system at the same time. Yeah. And if you want to find out anything more about the community grocer, we actually did a little mini profile of them in I think episode six of our first season of In Good Health, um, which is all about food security. So Food Bank, the community grocer, they're all in there. And we discussed some of those broader, I guess, system issues around access to fresh and healthy food for all. So that's pretty much it for us. We're pretty much wrapped up, I think, for this series of In Good Health. We, When we planned this to be the last episode, it was partly because we thought things were easing. Um, and in the time since we made that decision and in recording episode five and episode six, things have changed. So I guess that's probably just a lesson in at the moment you got to go with the flow and and see see what happens and be okay with that. You know, we don't quite know when this pandemic is going to end, but we have hopefully explored some of the stuff that will help get us through it and get us through it together. Yeah, and look, we'll be back for another season some stage soon. And uh, in the meantime, go back and check out some of the previous episodes. There are a lot, you know, there's loads of information in there, great partners tips and advice, but also just some good reminders, self-care, staying connected, taking time out and a few recipes. And of course, all the great tips and, you know, ideas from some of the experts who have been joining us each week too. Okay. So to take us out, we've got Hayley McKenzie from Half Moon Mindfulness and Meditation with our Mindful Moment. We'll see you soon. Bye. Hello, everyone. A great way to ground ourselves and return to the present moment is by engaging our senses. We can do this wherever we are. So wherever you are right now, take a few moments to get nice and comfortable. Let's begin by taking three very slow, long, deep breaths. You might like to place one hand on your belly and one hand on your chest so you can notice the breath coming in and out. Let's start. Breathing all the way in. Two, three, four. And all the way out. Two, three, four. Breathing in. Two, three, four. And all the way out. Two, three, four. Last one. Two, three, four, and out. Two, three, four. Okay, 
As you return your breathing to normal, let's begin with the sense of sight. Slowly look around and list five things that you can see. Take your time to do this. You might like to choose to find only blue things. It is up to you. Remember to continue breathing while you do this. Next, we'll use the sense of hearing. I want you to list four things that you can hear. You might like to close your eyes for this part. Are the sounds near? Are they far? Continue breathing normally. Next, using the sense of touch, reach out and feel the texture of three things. Are they soft? Hard? Or something else? Take your time to fully notice what you touch. Now, using the sense of smell, see if you can smell anything. You might smell cooking, flowers, or freshly cut lawn. Breathe in whatever the smell is and notice how it makes you feel. Lastly, using the sense of feeling in our hearts. What is the one or maybe two main feelings or emotions you have right now? Hopefully it's something pleasant, like being calm or curious. Whatever it is, notice it, accept it and let it go. Remembering that feelings and emotions come and go just like clouds in the sky. I hope you've enjoyed today's mindful moment. Much love, Ailey. Hi team, Dr. Sandro here. Just a quick reminder that if you need medical or mental health support, be sure to talk to your GP, contact Lifeline on 131114 or visit Beyond Blue's dedicated coronavirus site, coronavirus.beyondblue.org.au. And if you're ever at immediate risk of harm, please always call triple O. Take care, guys. This special COVID-19 series of In Good Health is produced by me, Dewey Cook, and edited by the fabulous Nick King. Thanks to Hayley McKenzie of Half Moon Mindfulness and Meditation and Rowan Singleton from Back in Motion Northcote for their help. For more information on what we've talked about in this episode, check out our show notes. And if you like us, please consider leaving us a review wherever you get your podcasts. See you soon.